everybody. Hello. It's Alan. And Brent. And we're back again for the final A-B testing episode of 2014. Yes, number 15 and last one for the year. That reminds me. And Is it 14? 15. Episode 15. 15. Last of 2014. Right. So I have a question for you, Brent. Not, yes. not on the whiteboard, but that's allowed in A-B testing. Yes. To you, do you prefer to say 2014 or 2014? I'm 2014. I'm a 2014 camp too. We and this it's actually a little one of these little anal peeves of mine because we called it 1980, 1990. I'm okay with calling 2000, 2000 because we called 19, 1900. Mm-hmm. Right? But we're in 20s now, not 2000s. Is that over Correct. the top? Over the top? No, of it's. I, mean, I think it's like, like I was so happy when we got through. The uh, the first ten years of this uh, millennium, because I didn't know what the what what is that first decade yeah, called? Yeah, twenty. I think you're even okay there because we call it nine. Well, I wasn't alive then, despite popular rumors. In history class, it was like 1907. So I can go 2007, 2007. Anyway, is it the, we're in the second, What's what's the decade? Called? Listen, people, the aughts. Ah, we're in. 2014, soon to go into 2015. If you could all please join me in my crusade to stop calling it 2000N, I'd be really happy. Thank you very much. This has been a uh, public service announcement from the AB testing crew. We'll now resume with our normally scheduled podcast. Uh, And we're back. You really cannot guess what will happen on this podcast. You you never know. (laughs) What's new for you, Alan? Hey, I just did. I'm glad you asked, Brent. This week, I did a little um, interview that wasn't like an interview in person where they actually talked to you with the microphone. They sent me some questions and said, hey, answer these and we'll put them on our blog. I did this for the A1QA blog. It's at A1QA.com slash blog. What does it stand for? Uh, A1, like like really good. Like, like steak QA, sauce? Like quality assurance. Like steak sauce quality assurance, I Gotcha. Think. But There's... they've interviewed a lot of people. They have some good blogs up there, um, some good articles and posts. And I answered some questions, and I answered questions that you would expect the angry weasel to answer. What were those, may you ask? Um, I don't remember. No. I answered... Uh, there was a question about combined engineering. Is it the end of all testing? And I said yes or no. You'll have to read to find out. I also answered questions about data-driven quality, um, the future of testing, and whether testers should actually have engineering skills, whether it makes a difference and when it makes a difference. And my unbashful opinion appears at a1qa.com slash blog. Yeah, I'm looking at the title right now. I cannot wait to go tear this blog post apart. So the title they they took a quote out of the out of my answers and made the title of it said test specialists are essential members of software teams. I'm not sure. Let's tear it apart right now because we the gauntlet has been thrown down for Brent and I to finally have a, a little more in-depth discussion about generalizing specialists or specializing generalists and what that means. Yep. Um so the con- I'll give my context then we'll go into that topic. So my context was I was talking about generalizing specialists and I think People that have a specialization in test, in testing skills, and those kind of that tester DNA, big picture, how do things fit together, um, will remain an essential part of software teams, regardless of whether they're called testers or not. Sure. The the only dispute I have with that is that I, I don't think they'll end up being specialists. I think they'll end up, that will be a 
more of a generalist talent and that it will spread out throughout the entire uh, team. So let's that park this... that for a moment and we'll come back to it as we discuss because sure. um, today on t- today, this week on Twitter, I introduced the um, the term losted. Okay. And I did not see that. You did not see Losted? I did not see Losted. So after reading Twitter and people making comments about, you know, oh, like th- what you're saying isn't testing. Um, what I proposed was the law of software testing discussions. Losted. And you could reference Losted any time a discussion is bogus because the definitions of testing do not match. And then someone asked this morning if we could extend Losted to match term, uh, general terminolo- terminology in general, non-matching terminology. So let's apply that rule to generalizing specialists, specializing generalists. What now, what mean? is the law? The law? The law is that I can claim – it's more of a motion. I can claim Losted, and it immediately invalidates a discussion where we're not talking about the same thing. Okay. All right. This this sounds analogous to my test is a four letter word. Sure, right? Sure, yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay. Applied the test, yes. Yep. So let's see if we can come to some clarity on what generalists and specialists and specializing generalists and generalizing specialists means to us. So, Brent, what's a generalist? Uh, a generalist is someone who has a, a talent in most things needed to get software engineering done. They do not have, the the way I would phrase it, the difference between a generalist and a specialist is I would say uh, there's multiple skills that, that an individual needs to have across three dimensions in engineering. They'll have process skills, they'll have technology skills, they'll have people skills. A generalist is someone who can do all of those with sort of a 50% speed. In, in that's, a, that's a weird definition. I, I, I wouldn't get so complex on that. I, I would just say a generalist is, can do a little about a lot of things. Uh, it depends, right? The little about a lot of things. I, I would definitely say uh, a generalist is someone that you would classify as... Um, Here's my a, word. A you, jack of all trades. Sure. Let's go with that. Okay. Because your other, when we went with generalist to specialist, getting generalizing specialist is going to get super complex if we can't make that more a little bit more simple. So a generalist is a jack of all trades. Good. I'll say a specialist is someone who goes really deep in an area. Uh, I know, for example, the guy that does the memory management stuff for Windows is a deep specialist there. You asked him to do the UI or, or an application, he would just laugh at you i i will generalize that and say a specialist in my worldview is someone who has a deep deep knowledge because uh, i do think the the important distinction between a generalist and a specialist is what knowledge they have and a, a specialist has deep knowledge in some skill okay so right? now you you specified an area it may not be an area Right, it could be a skill. I'll say a skill. Very yep. good. I agree. So now, without getting too complex, tell me what is a generalizing specialist in your opinion, your words? A uh, generalizing specialist is someone who, well, it, again, um, 
So I think of it in terms of more of a uh, data science way. Data science isn't I, the – Yeah, no, so you asked one? me for me to simplify it. Yeah. Um, a, a general, less, less blah, blah, more meat. <laughs> a generalizing specialist is uh, someone who still has really deep knowledge in a, a, a particular skill, uh, but they have other – they have knowledge in other aspects – to the degree where they they can they can handle multiple different skills, but not to the degree of of what they have on the skill that they have mastered. So the the difference I would say between I haven't asked for a difference. Ask for a definition. Okay. I can see from your body language my definition sucks. What is yours? Blah 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 blah. Right. My definition. If I were Scott Ambler, I'm going to read his definition. Okay. A generalizing specialist is someone who, one, has one or more technical specialties, for example, like Java okay. programming, project management. You're talking about you know, people or, or yeah, different, that's, different that, skills. Yeah, that's more concrete. That's kind of has what I was saying. Has at least a general knowledge of software development, has a general knowledge of the business domain in which they work, and actively seeks – here's the important one, especially for people in test. They're good at this. Actively seeks to gain new skills in both their existing specialties as well as in other areas. Okay. All right. Um, and, and Scott Ambler's article is like, when it came out, 2007, eight. It's pretty old. So what he's saying is similar to what I was saying, is that um, has he one or more fewer words. One or more technical specialties. The one problem I would, the, the one tweak I would have with that is it still would be a limited number of technical specialties. A, a basic knowledge of how to do stuff. Uh, basic knowledge of the goals that they're trying to achieve, and learns. Good. So what's a specializing generalist? It's a term that's not used as much, but you like it a lot. So tell me what a specializing generalist is. And I don't have a fancy definition from someone important to read for this one, so we're going to have to trust Brent. Stay tuned. <laughs> um, it's, it's the reverse of this. So they have a general knowledge of... of all or most of the technical uh, skill set. So they're broader? They're broader. Okay. Uh, and they're actively seeking to gain new skills uh, deeper in a new specialty. Okay. So, so both, both sides, if you were to run them as sort of an iterative loop, I do think you would see both generalizing specialists and specializing generalists converge to a steady state i okay i think we're more in agreement which sucks for our listeners who wanted to fight but i read um i, I tweeted about this as well and jim holmes um because at first i read scott ambler who later in the same article says uh there's a line that says something like um what then what the heck is a can there be a specializing generalist and he says basically i guess so just a different path to get there although he says it's rare maybe it's not so rare but you're saying that the specializing generalist is mostly a generalist who specializes, and the generalizing specialist is mostly a specialist who can go a bit broader. 
but eventually those, yes. will, eventually those will converge as you go as they both go the, deeper because they both have to share that attribute of wanting to learn new things. Eventually, they sort of converge. Yeah. So the way we could we could discuss this further, like if if we both intuitive believe intuitive intuitively believe we had a couple beers before we started at eight in the morning so yeah. friends having a hard time uh that that they would likely converge to the same whichever it may be right um then really the, the discussion is if you were to start a new team what should it be where do you start and in, in most of the blogs that I've seen that, that advocate for uh, generalizing specialists, um, my perception is the, the battle that they're solving is they're trying to – they're not trying to solve the combined engineering problem that we are, but they're trying to uh, essentially get pure dev orgs <coughs> to stop being stupid. Because pure dev orgs, at least in the world that we're coming from, is is – a world of pure specialization. Yeah, and that doesn't work. No. So I tweeted this and asked if there was a difference. Because I read the Scott Ambler article. I thought, well, you know, and I kind of got to that convergence point that you got to. I thought maybe they are the same. Um, but until they're the same, they're different. Until they converge, they are different. And Jim Holmes, uh, who is an awesome dude, I um, met him a couple years ago at a peer conference and that he was organizing and hosting when he was part of Telerik. Um, uh he wrote an article, again, six years ago, talked about being a specializing generalist. And, and I kind of got that there is a difference. And he's a generalist first and dives deep where needed. So let's play a game. Okay. Um, I only have one round of this game because I just made it up right now. Tag, you're it. So my role, what do I do at work? I, I'm kind of a consultant for the team. Um, okay. My boss calls me that. I look at what's going on. I figure out where holes are, make sure they're getting make sure they're getting addressed, make sure we're not letting pieces fall through the cracks. I also spend a lot of time on this team because we don't have anyone managing in charge of managing our builds, uh, tweaking a lot of our build configurations, making sure people got, get help with um, Git and source control when they need it because it's new for a lot of people, optimizing, tweaking, uh, set up some new static analysis tools for the team, uh, got those up and running um, so we can, you know, I'm, I'm big on code hygiene and code sanity. In the past, I've done similar sort of things and also written some infrastructure tools, um, but at the same time kind of did a lot of leadership things, making sure that whether there are virtual teams, another conversation, but virtual teams or directives that we need, that the team needed to follow were taking, taking care of team-wide communication, et cetera. Kind of the things I do. I'm big on community. I'm big on learning from others. I'm big on sharing. I'm big on enabling people to do a better job. Mm-hmm. Uh, what am I? Am I a generalizing specialist or a well, specializing generalist? I, I, the way you just described, I think you're a specializing generalist. And that's it's interesting. That's the realization I came to as I began uh, researching this, which is weird because I've been going generalizing specialist, and Brent says specializing generalist, and uh, <laughs> and I and I give him a dirty Monty look. Python flashback right there. Oh, <laughs> timeout! I'm going to. Um, it's probably too young at almost 11 years old, but over one of my goals over uh, winter break is to um, have my son watch uh, Monty Python on the Holy Grail for the first time. Maybe not entirely appropriate, but I think he's silly enough that he would enjoy the humor. 
I think my youngest son as well, and I absolutely feel like I have not done my parental duty by introducing them <laughs> yeah. to Flying Circus. Yeah, so so that's going to happen. That, that, that's going to happen. We'll see how that goes. Uh, uh, my daughter may just roll her eyes and leave the room and go play with makeup or something. My daughter is uh, just about to turn five. She, she would... Yeah, she would immediately bit flip and leave. But I think if I my old my youngest son would be all in, and I think I could get I could apply social pressure to get yeah, my oldest. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a shot. You know what we did this weekend, and we're off in the weeds. I'm gonna come back to specializing generalists. Is uh, there's a school of rock, rock a mile from Microsoft, and you know that's of, a great movie. And I made the kids watch the movie. In fact, uh, my daughter had a friend over. And we called her mom, make sure we could watch a PG-13 movie, and it was it was like barely PG-13, and and yeah. It was – I forgot how awesome Jack Black is, and that whole movie was great. I would say how awesome Jack Black used to be. Perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> yep. Perhaps. All right. So uh, I came to the realization that I was a specializing generalist. So by your own definition, you are suboptimal, I, right? No. I've changed my definition. As, once I realized that I <clears> – <throat> kind of what I do is more of a – I – yeah, I know a lot about a little, a little about a lot. Um, I, I do always learn new things and go as deep as I need to to help the team. So here's... But here, not usually a lot deeper. Here's, not, here's the realization, just so that you don't uh, feel alienated or lost out or... Where did I go wrong? Um, yeah, every day as I cry in the corner, I think those things. So as I just got through those who grew up in particularly at this company, those who grew up in dev are used to being a specialist. It's still whenever I introduce teams to agile, that is the number one con or conflict I have when I introduce this to, to we'll call them dev teams who grew up in dev, even though everything's combined engineering now. Um, Test is the reverse. Right, we've talked many a times that when when we had these separated roles, Tess was the guys trained to fill in the blanks. So we got talented at blank filling. Yeah, um, our friend Jim Moore, who listens once in a while, says that you said the job of Tess is the remainder. Yeah, I love Jim. Don't like that. I I like it. It's, I, it's, it's I, what you just said in different words. No, no, it's it's a hundred percent right, and I still hate it. <laughs> Uh, and, and I even wrote a blog on uh, on that topic, uh, gosh, a year ago. Um, Do you blog anymore? I will get another one out uh, in the before the end this end of this year. Actually, ideally this weekend. Stay tuned. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that that I have done um, is I've watched. I, I've I've owned teams. That came from both backgrounds. Okay, um, and when you get into the the agile process, that there, let me take a step back. You you from a technical standpoint, I would definitely classify you as a generalist. However, you are a specialist in certain things. So I definitely think that, uh, for example, learning, knowledge sharing, that is a specialty you have. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, right? Um, new tech, you're you're not afraid to go deep, and you are able to go deep. Uh, 
just about any time the business needs it. The difference, from, from my point of view, between a generalizing specialist and a specializing generalist, a specialization in the Agile world, as we've talked before, is another name for team bottleneck. So the challenge comes into play is when there's a specialization. Were you the only specialist? You're the only specialist, and the worst case scenario is you're the only specialist in a specialization that the team no longer needs. For example, let's say you are work you are working on a UI database product, and you're the database specialist, and they decide to go a different direction. And we no longer need that database. We're going to outsource that database to a third party. What do you do? Get a new job. That's exactly what you do. Yeah, you but if you're a specializing generalist, what do you do? You pick one of your other general areas and fill in. Or find another area of specialty. You, you find another area. But that's of true for a specializing generalist as well. Uh, the anxiety is significantly different. I guess so. There's that sort of... Um, a lot of people have mentioned, I know Lisa Crispin has, I'm not sure if, uh, if it's hers or she got it from somewhere else, sorry, um, but the tree-shaped persona where you have um, the T-shaped persona where you're broad, you go deep, but then somebody says, well, there's other places that go maybe not quite as deep. Um, I'm yeah. along with my hands, you guys can't see it, but I think, yeah, to be successful in software, you can't just be a trunk of a tree. You need some breadth and you need some branches and vines dangling down, areas where you know... Um, where you can dive in. What I would say is the this is actually an interesting discussion. The oh my gosh, it's actually interesting. Thanks for telling everyone, Brent. Sorry. Every now and again, uh, Alan uh, pulls something useful out. Um, so if specialization can turn into uh, a, a problem around bottlenecking, uh, then then is it true? And I believe it is that generalization means. Uh, a generalist might be a specialist in adaptability. Yes, but they do have the we- – it's like discussing mutant power, strengths, and weaknesses. Uh, you need you – know, when you have a complex performance problem, the generalist can't help you. You need the perf- – you need someone with, with strengths in performance or, or a specialty in performance as part of their tool bag to help with that. I would argue the generalist can help you. Um, but it may not be in an effective time frame. Yes. Okay. Because, and I would say the generalist may help you as they ramp up specialty in that area in order to help you. And that's maybe why the time frame is long. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so all that said, I don't see a test specialist. So this is a, and in context of the article, it's a a test specialist is someone who's a generalizing specialist. Where they're or a specializing generalist. Let's talk about me, for example. And but I still consider myself a test specialist. I know a lot about approaches for testing. I help our dev team a lot and how they're writing their tests and how they're executing their tests. Um, actually, I shouldn't say our dev team. My team, um, that happen to be programmers who are who are purely specialists in programming, to broaden their ability to write um, unit functional and acceptance tests. To sure. me, that is a test specialist. A team is always going to need some wait, wait, help. Wait, 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 wait. I'm stopping you there. Is that a test specialist or a test specialization? It's a test specialization. So I, I guess I, I think I get the part so of the if, phrase. So if that is finish, all you the did. The part that you are taking offense at is because I call it test specialist. 
that means that that, that is just a specialist and not a generalizing a specialist. Yeah, when you say that, I I immediately go team so, bottleneck, and in in and in a year that dude's screwed because he hasn't. Everybody knows how to do it right. Yeah. So, yeah, a test specialization. I have. Several areas of test specialization because test is more than just one area. Helping them write better tests is one thing. Helping them think about how their components interact with others. Uh, Helping them helping them think. Helping them think. (laughs) I'm a thinking. I have a. I'm not a thinking specialist. I have a specialization in thinking. We haven't talked about test zombies in a long time, but well, we're not going to. Yeah. Do we do we reach critical mass on that? So it doesn't. Let me, let me see if I can – let me try and summarize what I got out of this conversation. And you can tell me where I'm wrong, and then we'll try again. Okay. So there is a difference between a generalizing specialist and a specializing generalist, and it, it comes in the second half of that word. A specializing generalist is more of a general who specializes and vice versa for the other one. But eventually, as these people – one attribute they share – they share multiple attributes. But one they share it's important is this – they're grasping new knowledge and bringing it into their tool bag. Yes. And then eventually as the specializing generalist gets more specializations or deeper specializations and as a generalizing specialist gets more broad, they kind of converge on being the same person. The same type. The same, yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm not, and, we're not in science fiction here. <laughs> they, they, the, the same balance – and it'd be interesting to discover where that converges. And it can and and the path to get there. So Scott Ambler's right. The path that gets you there is is kind of what makes you one or the other. For example, if I were to, um, I have a couple areas I go deep in, but let's anyway without rambling about how I become one or the other because um, I don't care as long as I'm valuable to the team or they don't fire me. Can I also extrapolate beyond there that? That's the kind, and this has been written 150 times in different articles, so I think I'm safe saying this, that a good engineering team, a whole engineering team, an agile team, a combined engineering team, a discipline-free engineering team, is made up of those types of people, primarily. How much room is there for the dev specialist on the team of the future? The programming specialist. Don't they need some generalization to, to remain relevant? I, I think I think that... When you say that, I'm like, okay, what would be the the dev specialist? And and well, you know, my initial gut is that's that's what we call the architect. I, no, I think the architect is the generalist. The, ar- <laughs> the, the good the good architects I've known are actually some of the best <laughs> test minds I've dealt with in development. Um, they get how the pieces fit together. They know how to think about it. They know they know. Well, no so questions to ask. It's it's interesting. Maybe you've get, had shitty architects. This is why I think you brought up the the losted conversation, because what I think of a good architect is that they are a specialist in in architecture, which is sort of an abstract concept, right? Um, almost a general concept. <laughs> Just messing with you, Brandon. Yeah. I think I think architecture is a deep um uh it, it's a deep concept but it's at the high level right it, it whereas you you brought it up yeah <laughs> the 
So a, a, a dev specialist from, going back to your question, a dev specialist from your concept is what then? Someone who knows the now, database in and out? Not to pick on our company, which I'm going to do in the next segment as well, but we have a lot of developers who are good at only tell me what to code, I'll code it, and then I'll check it in. So what is that? That's is that a coding specialist? That's a I guess C so. sharp specialist. I don't know. Yeah, it's just a language specialist. I'll implement that. Yeah, uh, but then from a coding standpoint, if they're a C sharp specialist, are they a coding generalist? No, I guess so. I guess so because I think you know, are, are we like, are we are now weird. like uh, off in the freaking weeds? Are we now? Uh, uh, the question was... Coming to the uh, opinion the qu- that it doesn't matter and everybody's the same? Let me rewind. Oh, God. Brent. <laughs> I don't know why I invite you. Only because your B is in the name yeah, of the you, podcast. Yeah, I can help you find another B. So the B. question Bruckner. was... Oh, God. <laughs> All right. Uh, the question was, Brent... Yes, Alan. The question was is... Let me ask it differently so, you, so I can try and reel you the heck in. Good luck with that. I know. Go for it. I'm ready. Describe, take a team of 20 people. You have a 20-person engineering team. Um, are they specialists, generalists, generalizing specialists, specializing generalists? What's your mix, generally? At the start or at the end? Oh, God. No, because we just got through talking about that. You gonna- just hired a, okay, you hired a team. You have a brand new product. You're going to build a fizz banger, which fizzes bangs or bangs fizzes. I'm, I'm going to have, I'm, I'm, I'm likely... In today's world, I'm likely to have a team of generalists and specialists, and I will need to kickstart the process that creates the learning loop that gets them rolling to a, a converged center. So you're going to start with generalists and specialists and, the, and let them turn into specializing generalists and generalizing specialists? Yeah. And so, then become whatever the hell we haven't named So it. I'm already a specializing general, so you won't hire me? Because I, I, I'm not like a... One or the other? In that case, no. Or do you hire me as a generalist? I would hire you, but in, in the classification... Oh, you wouldn't hire me, but you know, it, you know, theoretically. Oh, I would so hire you. I would I would love for the first three months the, the one-on-ones. <laughs> I don't do one-on-ones. Oh, you would? No. Sorry. <laughs> I'm busy. I'm busy making your product work. Yeah. Um, All right. My, my ideal world would be to start with, uh, again, specializing generalists. People, because I, I would want to optimize for adaptability, but the specializations, I would try to um, diversify so that there is a lot of opportunity for knowledge sharing amongst the team, and their specializations are aligned with uh, what my product needs. All right. Okay, I'm going to put a... Nice bed out with a blanket and a pillow and put this topic into the bed and tuck it in for a nice rest. What do you think? That's up to you. I'm not done with this. You're not done? Nope. Oh, God. Okay. <clears throat> Just to let people know. Oh, my God, an earthquake. Get out of bed. Let <laughs> Brett know what's happening with the no, no. GSs and the SGs. So just to share, uh, so I tweeted on this that I believe I have a mechanism. I think, we, I think we've hypothesized what will happen. Uh, for those, I, th- I think we talked about that I've gone back to school, and I just completed a class on modeling and simulation. So I'm going to model and simulate this and see what actually happens. Um, I, I 
that may be my play toy exercise for the next uh, couple of weeks. No one wants to know about your play toy exercises. I do think to to get this. I do think we, we've converged on um something we've already converged on. Like it, it really doesn't matter if it's SGs or GSs when you begin. What's critical is this this learning adaptability loop. And over time, uh, we, I think we both believe that they're going to come to some happy center. And what is that happy center? We don't know. Correct. We don't know. When I'm done with this, I'll know. All right. Now, now can I put it to bed? You may. It's in bed. Okay. All right. One more topic. No mailbag this week. Sorry. No mailbag. Because it's not happening because nobody asked any questions that I recall. Um, but I was thinking just the other day. Uh, did you ever read Microsurf, the Doug Copeland book? Yeah. Long, long, long time ago. So I remember like in um, – I was uh, – before I started at Microsoft, I – like one chapter of it was in Wired magazine. And I thought this is pretty cool. And then I started at Microsoft and I got the book and read it. And there was a lot of it was interesting. There was a lot of Microsofty, you know, little quirks about Microsoft. This is written in, you know, pre Windows ninety five, pre dot com. It had a lot of sort of inside information, funny things about Microsofties and 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 it was a different Microsoft. It was a lot different. And that book came out right when I started. And uh, we talked last time, Brent and I are both approaching the 20-year mark. And Brent's bizarre internship story. Um, <laughs> listen to the last podcast for that, the previous one. Uh, but I was thinking, and I don't know if you have many of these, but I've uh, there are things people do at Microsoft that I kind of want to feed to Doug Copeland, see if he wants to write like a follow-up. But for now, I'll just feed them to the... Uh, they're not enough of them yet for a book, for sure, but it'll be fun to discuss. Maybe we'll make a segment out of this where we can think, talk about things Microsofties do. What Ford's, would be the title of this book? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't thought that far ahead yet. I don't think any of this, anything regarding the topics of this podcast do not get thought of in advance. So don't ask me like things like that. All right. So what's your... What's I don't your, know if you have any. Do you want me to give you one of mine? What's your nuggets? There's an interesting phenomenon I see... At Microsoft, more than anywhere else, and people will, to exit the bathroom, they'll basically wrap their entire arm in paper towels to pull the door open, yet they'll eat anything you put on the kitchen counter. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> I could put turd cookies out there. They go, oh, cookies! <laughs> I, I could put, uh, like... Uh, uh, lasagna directly on the counter, not on a plate. They go, oh, lasagna, yeah. <laughs> but they um, cannot touch that stainless steel door handle. Uh, this, door. this. So Alan, think? Alan wrote up the topic, <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Usually, when Alan wrote up topics, I'm like, all right, I'll be able to swing with this. All right, I got yeah, more. I'm just like, okay. So you have you found some weird. OCD specialist that you're no, hanging no, no, out more. with. Now check it out. So Microsoft employees, what do we pay? I don't know if we can say this. What, like a 59 total compensation. Like a 59 is like an entry-level person. Um, they make a good amount of money and they get great benefits. And, you know, we take care of people here. And, and we have a lot of long and tooth people like me and Brent. We're not poor. We're not zillionaires or we wouldn't be hey, talking hey, hey, on hey. this podcast. Brent may be poor. Yeah, yeah. It depends on – it's a relative discussion. It, it is. It yeah. is. Well, anyway – 
you can get like uh, an email from an admin saying, hey, we're giving away free $5 t-shirts over here. Everyone will stop working. Like, I don't, deadline, schmedline, I'm getting my free shirt. Yes. And no, it, it doesn't be a shirt. It can be a, you know, it can be a shot glass or a mug or a, a little card that lets you have a badge for your avatar or whatever. The, the little teeny things, people will, I know I have a deadline. I know this build's broken and I'm responsible to fix it, but there's a free t-shirt two buildings over. I'm going to get it. You ever read free? No. Um, so one of the, the, the topics that I'm hugely fascinated by is this thing called behavioral economics. And f- the word free is just powerful, right? It, hey, free stuff, it, it, it doesn't even matter. I don't think this is a Microsoft phenomenon. Uh, perhaps not. Yeah. People, we have free coffee and free soda. People just grab them when they go by. They don't go, oh, my God, the soda's free. If we're going to say, like, if you say, like, soda's free only on Fridays, people would stockpile. they go crazy. If they changed it. Hey, new T-shirt. One nickel. Oh, yeah. I guarantee you would see it. Totally different behavior. <laughs> so I, I was noticing that there was a um, a division wide t shirt giveaway, and I'm walking, I'm watching the throng, and you know I'm the ever the efficiency uh, and and wa- I hate waste. I'm, I'm watching thousands of people walk over to get their t shirt, and I thought, you know, we have work to do, and they're waiting in line. Oh, and- I know. There's so when you said the microsurfs and sort of the differences between the the I'll call it the decades, like we are definitely knee deep in a new transformation. Right? I I haven't I I can talk about the first decade I was here and the second decade I was here and very distinctly. I'm yeah. not going to do it today, Thank but the you. the next decade it's going to be very different. Like, the one thing I found out yesterday, I didn't know about this. And I'm still thinking through, what are the downstream consequences? Apparently, we've, we've stopped the Ship It program. Yeah, we have, yeah. Right? And I'm like, interesting. So, we're, we're moving towards stopping the Ship It program. We're, we, we're, Microsoft as a whole is moving away from sort of a, a, an office space lifestyle, more towards a, an open space lifestyle. Um. And it's really, for me, hard to predict what this is going to be at the end of that particular uh, journey. Well, the Ship It program, for those that don't work at the Evil Empire, is every time you ship a product, you get a little decal to go on this, not a little metal decal to go on this plaque you have. Yep. And I have two of them full of products that some I'm proud of and some I'm not. Um, in the... I mean, we're moving to a world where we may not ha- have... Any products at Microsoft have major releases anymore, maybe all incremental. Yeah, and, and from, that, from that point of view, I totally agree with the removal of the Ship It program. But one of the things that I've used that Ship It program, when, when I go and I meet a, a new person, that's one of the first things i got to look at because right there You're like a is, creepy stalker. That's like going uh, on someone's Facebook history. No. What is listed right there? Is a set of experiences for that individual, a set of products, a, a set of knowledge. And I find that I'm like, oh, hey, you and I worked on the same team. I did not realize that. Well, on mine, you would see I, I worked on Windows Millennium and you would think less of me. 
uh, <laughs> at this point in time, that's a challenge. <laughs> oh, ouch. <laughs> Hear that? Brent just did a singer. He worked on it, and as we heard earlier, he's a test specialist, and yet Millennium still happened. It's a lot. I could talk about Windows. It's M-E. I don't know where the Millennium came from. I thought it was Windows Marketing Edition. Millennium Edition. Yeah. I, was that was that the fix for Y2K? No. I, like, I, I'm still puzzled no. why that thing ever went out. Be- you know why it went out? Because that was before we uh, companies were distributing applications primarily via the Internet, and Windows was the only ship vehicle for a lot of applications. So we had to put a new version of Windows out in order to ship a bunch of things that people wanted to have shipped elsewhere at Microsoft. Yeah. Sorry, world. Yep. All right. We, we broke the world. Do I have any other? Alan um, broke the world. I, I haven't matched the trend yet. Um, I'm going to make a list of these. Um, there is a weird vortex around campus, of, and I can't – now that – we used to have parking passes. We Everybody stuck in their window. I never put one in. But you could always tell a Microsoft driver because they had the same little – pass hanging from their window yeah but now we don't require those so i can't identify the microsoft drivers but i can say there is a vortex around the campus of really aggressive bad driving yes Um, but i I haven't found the pattern yet to to really make that a uh an an observable trend that i can predict like like i can with six years ago this was like all throughout our internal like news sources that it was a huge problem and i haven't seen any sort of um uh, i i people ignoring pedestrians and oh they do completely i uh sometimes if i get up late i will go for a run in the middle of the day rather i usually run in the morning and i take a a path that has me crossing the fewest streets as possible yet i still pretty much am in fear for my life every time i cross the street yeah I just let the car go by. I try to, but then, yeah, it's, 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 it's a crazy. It's crazy. And I think part of it is, do you think that, um, so Microsoft has these streets that go through campus, but they're, they're public streets technically, I think, but the police never watch them. They are public streets. So, yeah, people drive bat shit crazy. Yep. And, yeah, so. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 and even around blind corners and, and one of the. One of the things that I tell people on that, because I, I get every so often, oh, my God, I was just about to enter the crosswalk, and this guy went anyway. And I'm like, okay, well, you didn't enter the crosswalk, so by the legal, they can still go. Once yeah. you step a foot in there, yeah, they have that, to stop. Oh, and that's the other thing. The um, the Microsoft pedestrians. They um, don't slow down. No, they. it's idiotic, the approach of, my light's green, I'm going. If you hit me, it's your fault. Yes, and you're going to die. Yeah, that's the thing that. Like with the pedestrians, that's, that's maybe even worse. Is I mean, you have to. I have a longer story for this. I'm not going to go into it today, but the the nutshell of it is: Look, guys, you walk in the crosswalk, and you and you get hit. Yes, they are in the wrong. They'll go to jail. And You'll go to the graveyard. <laughs> I just don't get. Get it. your perspective right. I was uh, on a run one morning at work, um, and. Uh, a guy was on his bicycle on the um, on the sidewalk, and he wanted to. There's this tur- there's this place for people coming off the freeway, and they want to turn right, and it's really hard visibility. They want to turn right on the red, um, but they can't because they can't see. There was a guy on his bicycle, and he was like one foot in the street, ready to go the second that crosswalk turned green. Pedestrian sign turns green the same time the traffic light turns green. The guy um, 
started to turn right, slammed on his brakes. He wasn't going very fast. And the, the bicyclist, because he wanted to make a point, just stood in front of him and stared at him. And stood right in front of his car. Just, I mean, like an aggressive bicyclist. And I don't get it. Anyway, off in the weeds here a little bit. But we'll look. For, I'll look for some more... And it isn't just like one isolated thing. I'm looking for some more trends. I, I think there's a new pattern going. I don't know. Like one of the things, uh, like the open the open space model. Uh, um, here in Xbox, I think it's done rather effectively. I'm moving to to a new uh, a building with with a different design. It's sort of the. Uh, the, the the corral people in like cows about to get milked uh, model that you'll see that the Skype team has. Oh, I hate that. But uh, but the thing is that we've been told is that it's all open space and it's collaborative. Uh, but you go walk in those buildings and it's like go- entering a library during the middle of a funeral. I love team rooms. I love them when they max out at 10 people at the most. Yeah. When you shove in thirty, it yeah. it, it, it turns I, into a library. I was yeah. Anyway, a whole other conversation. But we're but there's time. there's a there will be pattern consequences to that model. All right, we'll look for things to happen in the next decade. Yes, if, we if will we stay employed that long. All right, everyone, have a happy, happy, and safe holiday and a fantastic new year. All right, I'm not Brent. I am not Alan. All right, we'll see you in 2015. Ciao.